Welcome to the Solutions for Customers podcast, where we will cover all things about sales engineering, customer success, and best practices in the tech ecosystem. Recorded live outside of Boston, MA, here's your host, Gary Sloper. That song is by the band Casino Sunday. Check them out on iTunes and Bandcamp. So hello, everybody. Welcome to the Solutions for Customers podcast. I'm your host, Gary Sloper, where we talk about everything from sales engineering, solution architecture to customer success in the tech ecosystem, as you heard in the intro. So I wanted to welcome everybody today. I will immediately apologize because you may hear some background noise and uh, information. I'm I'm out here uh, on vacation today and I'm in a cramped, tiny little set of quarters with my family, so if my kids start uh, having fisticuffs, I apologize, but that just adds to the authenticity of the show. We'll do our best, uh, and I'm also portable on my microphone today, so hopefully there's not too much feedback, but we do have a good show in store for you today. Uh, there's a lot of things going on. Uh, there's been some some interesting M&A recently. We, we just saw that Silver Peak was acquired by, or intend, intended to be acquired by by HP, which will certainly shake up a little bit of the SD-WAN market. I think it's a it's an interesting play. Um, we've, we've seen some other recent acquisitions over the last year. Um, Palo Alto bought Cloudgenics. So, you know, as a lot of the organizations shift to this software-defined world, they're all trying to continue to, to focus on areas that they can serve these customers. And if you're a traditional uh, hardware organization or one that went into the cloud like HP, you know, you're constantly looking to try to reinvent yourself. So it should be interesting to see this. It's a very large uh, dollar valuation. So, uh, you know, Silver Peak's been in that market for quite a while, and we'll have to just kind of watch from the sidelines, see how that that works, and and more specifically, how it uh, impacts uh, positively or negatively for customers, which is what this show is all about, is how do we support customers. Um, And, you know, I think that it'll be a good topic today, uh, just talking about how you integrate and uh, assimilate into organizations with my guest um, the, the, this morning, who is uh, his name is Claude DeKarish. He is uh, an area solutions director for Windstream, a uh, friend of mine, personal friend of mine I've known uh, many years, and I'm extremely stoked to have him on the on the show today. So, Claude, welcome. Hey, Gary. Uh, really honored to be here. Um, thank you for, for having me on. Looking forward to our convo. Always good to catch up with you, uh, Talk technology, talk industry changes and challenges, and it's uh, really um, you know, chit chat like old friends. So, so glad uh, glad to be here. Yeah, yeah. So, so you've um, you've been uh, you know a, a constant leader down in uh, the southern part of the U.S. Uh, much warmer climate. So I'm, I'm <laughs> super jealous, especially when it comes January here in the Northeast. You know, tell me a little bit about what you're working on today and and uh, what's going on at Windstream and. Uh, you know, maybe we can just kind of shed the, the leaders about that. Um, and uh, also, it would be good, you know, maybe if you talk a little bit about your background, um, you know, how you got into, you know, leadership over at Windstream and, and what you've been doing, you know, the past, you know, five, ten years. Uh, because some of our listeners, uh, you know, are probably a young Claude DeCarish in the industry and would love to hear, you know, your, your kind of rise in leadership. So maybe you can walk us through that. Yeah, sure. So uh, let's start with the, uh, I guess, the the foray into sales engineering. I mean, I don't think my story is unique. I think uh, a lot of folks probably have um, similar backgrounds, similar stories to tell. And, uh, you know, for the young folks out there thinking about getting into the into the field, uh, this is a, a, an awesome space to be in. If you like technical things and if you like um, 
you know, providing solutions for customers. So, I mean, I started off as a civil engineer, right? That was my background. I graduated college from New Mexico State University, um, go, go Aggies, uh, did civil engineering for a number of years down in South Florida. Uh, really great background, really great foundation, really good um, way to uh, engage, uh, you know, tactical thinking, strategic thinking as well. Um, deductive reasoning, just uh, some, some good critical thinking background as we designed all kinds of things from highways to uh, environmental uh, wastewater treatment plants, all kinds of different things. So that was a really good uh, you know, foundation, really good uh, foray into just the engineering world. Just, uh, at some point, I got a little bit bored. Uh, it moved a little bit slower than I was hoping and uh, kind of moved into a sales role. So transformed into telecommunications, learned the industry from scratch then, um, you know, figured out uh, that talking to customers, finding solutions for customers, interacting with customers was something that was more exciting than just being behind a desk uh, designing things. Uh, but at some point came back into the technical field, incorporating both the, uh, the engineering aspect as well as the sales aspect and being able to bridge those two worlds together to, to really drive solutions for customers was, uh, was what I got into, what I what I loved, and what I've been doing ever since. So that's it from a you know from a nutshell as a uh, as it as it relates to getting into the industry. Uh, where I am now, you mentioned uh, Windstream. So, you know, Windstream is a fantastic company. We're doing SD WAN uh, really really aggressively, like you uh, like you mentioned earlier with uh, with Silver Peak being acquired by HP. That's uh, you know that's that's huge. That's going to be a, a good move for the industry. A lot of competition, um, a lot more options for customers. We think that uh, we at Windstream do have a, you know, a bleeding edge or leading edge technology as it relates to the, the VMware VeloCloud solution that we offer. Uh, Silver, Silver Peak is a close competitor to ours, um, but uh, looking forward to seeing, you know, how we compete against them uh, going forward. Now that uh, HP has kind of put their put their backing behind them. Yeah, yeah, that's that. I I totally agree. You know, especially uh, there's a lot of options. You know, you have right. Tele Versa. Um, you know, Silver Peak and, and even just, you know, CloudGenix and Big Leaf. There, there's a lot of options out there. Um, you know, it's interesting, your background, especially where you started as a civil engineer, it almost sounds like a natural progression to go from, you know, designing wastewater systems <laughs> to then move into telecommunications uh, where, you know, generally most mi municipalities do not have telecommunications, but, but it is a, a you know, a, a nice segue into there. So how, how did you control your learning curve? I mean, obviously you're a very intelligent individual. If, if you were in civil engineering, it was probably a lot easier to, to make that, that, you know, move into telecommunications, but, but how do you control your learning curve, you know, then and, and now, because everything changes so quickly versus probably, you know, wastewater systems probably don't change at the speed of light. Like we see in some of these agile uh, deployments for for customers like so how do you personally you know stay stay relevant as much as possible knowing that you can't be an expert in everything you know great question first of all uh, I'm not as intelligent as you give me credit for but uh, I will say <laughs> I argue I'll argue that point my friend I've known you a long time I, I will say that you know I, I wish I could tell you that I, I'm an avid reader or um, I you know take classes online every two seconds uh, and I do some of that, but I really learn from the folks around me. That is my best way to consume new technologies, new ideas, new strategies, 
um, anything along those lines. I mean, we all learn from each other. That's uh, that's 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 obvious. That's that's table stakes. But I, I truly look to my uh, to the folks I work with, the engineers on my teams, uh, the people I, uh, I surround myself with, and um, really um, spend a lot of time just learning from them, asking questions, digesting, consuming anything they have to offer, processing it in my own way, obviously, but. Um, I really uh, think that I'd say 70% of my learning comes from the people around me. Mm-hmm. I like to learn from people. I'm, 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 that's the way I learn best. And it's always good for me to sit down and read, do my own work, do my own investigation, do do all that kind of good stuff you know, to, to learn. But I, I do like consuming from people a, a lot more. So I'd say that is uh, the, the way I do it. And, and you know, this is, it's always it's fun. It's interactive. It's, 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 it's constantly changing. I learn every single day throughout the day from uh, every single engineer I'm interacting with, every customer I'm inter- interacting with, every every peer I'm interacting with. There is, you know, like you said, telecom is a, telecom slash IT is a very uh, evolving, constantly changing uh, industry. It's never static. It's always active. It's always, um, uh, it's, it's always energized. So I'd say that is, uh, that's probably the, you know, that's the way I keep up on it. I mean, there are times obviously I've had to sit down, open a book up, go figure out how do I pass my CCDA or CCNA class. But uh, other than that, it's just been from, from folks around me. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> I'm just sitting here smiling. I, I a thousand percent agree. I think as a solution architect, you know, you really need to make sure that you're humble enough to be okay with asking, how do I do something or how do I solve a problem? And you can appreciate this obviously now in, in a leadership role, but you also saw it, you know, among some of your peers, I'm sure, is that, you know, there's instances where, you know, engineers tend to want to be the resident expert on everything. And, right. and there's this, there's this um, small amount of um, self-doubt that exists in some of the DNA of some of those individuals. Right. And, it's, and it's not done on purpose, but they, they don't want folks to know that they don't understand everything. And I think that can be obviously a, a very slippery slope and a mistake. Right. Now, you have to build that relationship with the sales professional that you're partnered with because there's going to be times where you just don't know the answer on the spot <laughs> and you have to go back and, and research. And that is the responsible aspect of it. I mean, you know, obviously when we go see a doctor and the doctor doesn't have the answer for us and if they have to look that up, that makes us very uneasy. Right. Now, I would argue that while as a, as a doctor you have to spend many, many years in training, um, the technology is obviously changing to support patients, but you know the ailments and the other things that go along with us as humans are generally the same, except for what we're dealing with right now in COVID. But we'll just say, you know, I'll take a swag, 80% of what we, what we have, you know, whether it's coughs or throat, like those are the things that, you know, an MD can kind of give you that answer. But if they had to support a patient that the patient's environment could be completely unique from the other hundred patients that they have and not a a set standard. It can be, it would be very difficult. So I I almost look at it as, you know, our, our, you know, our um, profession is so unique because you can go, especially now into so many different realms um, and, and it's exciting, but also it can be scary for a lot of folks. So, you know, I, I think it, it's it's awesome to hear someone like you who's who's been extremely successful in their career has has switched careers. You know, going from civil engineering into technology engineering, and then now um, obviously in leadership. 
you know, I think it, it's a testament to you also still maintaining that humbleness and scrappiness to basically say, hey, I, I know that I don't understand everything. I'm going to continue to read. I'm going to continue to watch videos and, and uh, have interactions with peers and, and those types of things. And I think that's something that, um, you know, as we as we kind of, you know, think about what we have to be responsible for within the team, I think that then resonates back down to your team. So as you take that approach, I mean, does your team see that? And do they do they kind of gravitate? Hey, Claude, Claude's the first one to raise his hand and say that he's not the resident expert. Um, so if he's not the resident expert, it's okay that I'm not. But I but he's kind of indirectly indirectly kind of leading me down the path to go become a better solution architect or a sales engineer. So you, do you kind of see it? Yeah, that, that lens. Yeah, so a, a lot of fantastic points you kind of just laid out there, um, or just now, Gary. So, number one, uh, yeah, I'm I'm always going to be humble. I'm always going to tell you, hey, I am not the the engineer that's going to know every single thing for for every single product. I just just won't be, right? Uh, and you mentioned that you know, you know in our DNA we want to solve everything we want to be able to know everything we want to be able to answer everything right uh, off the bat for a customer for a peer for a client whatever the case may be and we also get the external pressure from the folks that we support they also want to have us be able to just answer a customer right then and there on the spot with every single thing that the customer could possibly ask whether we're prepared or not prepared whether it's in our field or not in our field whether it's something we've touched in the last year or in the last 15 years, they want us to be able to answer everything right then and there. Right. So we get that pressure externally. We get, we get the pressure internally from our, from ourselves, from our own DNA. And it's, uh, it, it's not a good thing in my estimation. Yes. It should drive you to learn. It should drive you to become better. It should drive you to, to, to memorize things, but I don't always rely on memory. I like to say, Hey, it's better to have a good path to get to an answer than to try and memorize something. Have some good deductive reasoning to arrive at the right answer versus relying on memory because memory can fade, memory can 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 trick you, and um, you're, there's no way you're going to know every single thing about every single product. You know, obviously, you don't want to be the person that says, "Hey, let me get back to you on every single uh, on everything a customer asks," but you still want to be able to be confident enough to say, "Hey, Mr. or Mrs. Customer, here's what I do know. Here's the gap that I will have to go research for you. Once I get that." And if my assumptions are correct or incorrect, here's the solution for you. So there should be no um, no pride or hubris in being able to say, Mr. or Mrs. Customer, I know 90% of this. The other 10% I'm not quite sure of. Let me go get that answer for you. And this will round out the solution for you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that's, uh, you know, that's, like you said, that's the that's been my, my philosophy. That's been my way of leading my teams. Uh, they've been, um, fortunately, a lot smarter than I have been throughout, throughout the years. I've been uh, honored to lead some of the best teams, some of the best sales engineering teams in the in the companies I've worked for. So I've relied on my folks to be uh, to be that that beacon, those those bright shining lights of, of knowledge and, and expertise. And they've fulfilled that uh, more than my expectations. Uh, but they've also had the leeway for me to say, hey, you, you will not know every single thing under the sun. You've got an ecosystem that can support you. You've got speeds that know only one product that all the way down to the depths of the ocean, whereas you guys know many, many, many products um, at, at, at a certain level. So mm-hmm. rely on your SMEs, bring them in. Don't be, uh, don't be, uh, don't be, don't be scared. Don't be afraid. This is something that's there to help you. They, um, they're not going to supersede you. All they do is augment what you bring to the table. Yeah. And I, and I, and that's a really good point. I, you know, I, again, 
you know, uh, you've, you've done um, quite a bit in your career and, you, and you've been in so many different sales cycles. I mean, you, you can probably name um, off the bat how many deals you just win with an, with a, an SE or an SA and the sales rep and a quote, right? Like right. It, ta- it takes a village, <laughs> right? And yep. yes, the, I mean, there's those instances where you guys just dazzled somebody uh, or the customer had an absolute use case that was breaking that you had to solve. But generally, it takes a village to win an opportunity. And, and what's always interesting to me is, so we'll bring in the SME, we'll bring in product, we'll bring in legal, probably some you know executive management like yourself, and same thing on the sales side. And when we win that opportunity, everybody's super excited, right? The, the thank yous go out, even if it was, you know, Joe Schmo from finance that just literally <laughs> put a decimal point on the, right. the piece of paper. Now Joe's, you know, value was, was extremely helpful in the opportunity, but he didn't really do a whole lot, but everybody gets the thank you. Right. What's interesting is when we lose an opportunity, because oftentimes we lose more than we win, it's crickets. The only two yeah. people that end up taking that responsibility or are, are basically given the responsibility of that, of that loss is, you know, the engineer and right. a sales professional. Yep. And, and, and that's where I think as leaders, sometimes we have to also take a step back and say, hey, we lost, but let's dissect why we lost. We always want to, you know, sales will always say we lost because of pricing. Engineers will always say because we lost because of the product. Right. Sometimes we just lose because we stunk on the deal. Like <laughs> our, our, our engineering abilities, like we, we didn't bring our A game or right. the sales professional didn't bring their A game. And I think we equally also have to reflect on every deal did, did we do everything in our power and, and if so then i think that that's where you're documenting it and keeping the metrics and rolling it up to folks like yourself so you have a more of an executive view of why we're losing deals but if you just plain stunk on the opportunity and i've it's happened to me before like i've walked out of you know meetings in the past in my career and i go you know i, I just i didn't feel like i had the right flow and it, it you know and sometimes that you know the customer puts that on you, right? They, they, they're professional negotiators at times, or they've, they've sat through more presentations than you probably anticipated. So they know how to steer the conversation to, to put you into a corner. Mm-hmm. But, but once in a while, like you just wake up on the wrong side of the bed, you had a bad day. And so you've been in those situations where your team or maybe even yourself, how, how do you kind of coach through that and say, you know, I know it wasn't Gary's best day, but he's, he's a darn good engineer. How, how do you give somebody coaching around that to, to, to help them to prevent that in the future without, you know, completely demoralizing, you know, their, uh, their, their psyche, but also doing it in a way that they know that you're there to help mentor them to become that even better engineer for the next opportunity? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's a great question. I've, you know, I've had the, the pleasure and the honor of coaching and mentoring some some newbies in the industry as well as some veterans and um you know i'd say it's really just about dialogue right so going back to the roots uh, and the basics and figuring out okay why did you have a bad day for example what could you have done better tell me tell me what you what you think you missed let me get some feedback from you and kind of give them my coaching and feedback as well and also really just give them the latitude to make mistakes a lot of times we do not give sales engineers any latitude whatsoever to make a mistake, right? It, you know, you know, it's not surgery, it's not life and death, but it's telecom, and to some folks uh, that is life and death because their business does depend on it. But mm-hmm. there are times that uh, any good company will um, 
will say that you know you've got a, an opportunity to make mistakes, to improve, to get better, to learn, to adapt from them. And we don't do that as often as I'd like. Uh, I do give my engineers some latitude that way as well. I have high expectations of them. I hold them accountable. Uh, but mistakes are made. Hey, did you ask all the right questions up front? Did you all do all the correct discovery up front before you guys decided to turn around and put a design together? You know, if you didn't, if you didn't do that, then that's a mistake. That's something you can do better. You can correct it. You can move on from that and get better next time. Here's what you should think about doing the next time you, you run into something like this. So, I mean, you know, and, and really that just comes down to number one, leadership for me and as well as leadership from the sales team and leadership from, from above us as well. You know, in telecom, we have this, uh, this knee-jerk reaction to getting sales done every 30 days. It puts a lot of pressure on the system sometimes, and I get it. I've been, I've lived it for many years, but if you can take a step back sometimes, have a bigger picture uh, outlook on it, have a, have a bigger picture outlook on the sales cycle, on the solution we're trying to deliver for customers, on that long-term um, relationship that you're trying to, to build with the customer, then maybe you won't rush into a, a poor solution or a poor judgment or something because you've got to get a sale done in 30 days. So these are, these are things that, uh, you know, again, they vary from company to company, from industry to industry. Um, you know, a lot of times, if you can take that step back and have that long-term vision, it really bodes well for the company overall. But I get it. We're in telecom. Sometimes everything we need to do is on a 30-day cycle. So that kind of comes into play as it relates to not making excuses for an engineer, or a sales professional, but those are the things that uh, come into play as it relates to making mistakes. You mentioned uh, uh, one more quick thing. You mentioned we win as a village. That is absolutely true and couldn't be truer in the enterprise space, right? Uh, yeah, we're going to have those small transactional sales where it's just a sales engineer and sales professional and they spit out a quote and customer says, yes, I want it. They've done their research beforehand anyway. They were pretty much going to buy. Uh, they just want to buy from us. Great. No, no worries. Everything outside of that, Enterprise sales typically takes a village. I am the most passionate person as it relates to the sales engineer's role in selling in any, in, in, in any technical space. Nothing gets sold without a sales engineer as far as I'm concerned. You're not going to get the glory, more, more likely, that the sales professional gets. You're not going to get the kudos and the pass on the back and the money that the sales professional gets, but know that you're critical, you're crucial to that sale. It does not happen without you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And we all know every once in a while we have that engineer that complain, complains because they, they went and did all the work and <laughs> you know it was it was them that basically carried the opportunity. They're not wrong. Right, right. But they get very upset that, you know, the sales professional they're supporting who is maybe lazy or just not not around as part of the really the opportunity right. is compensated, receives the accolades and, and you know, I think that's a hard pill to swallow because I've been in that, that situation before. Sure. But I always do remind engineers that the next progression in their career could be moving into sales if you want those types of things. Absolutely. Now, we as leaders also need to ensure that in those sales cycles, the teams are working well together. And in doing so, I think it's very paramount that we're not only just building relationships with our teams and the sales reps, but but also our peers on the sales side. So if I think of, you know, your sales peer, uh, that's obviously critical to make sure that, you know, that these types of cadences are not repeated where it's more one-sided. Right. You know, maybe, you know, talk to me a little bit about how you build that relationship with your sales leadership peer 
and you know what do you think is really kind of critical for success obviously there's a lot of things that are critical for success but maybe like one one or two points that you know you've learned in your career um, having to deal with various personalities and um, you know work methods that that the sales teams are are, are you know are under um, and also knowing to your earlier point that sometimes the, the drive to close this business in 30 days can can make some of the the best of individuals um, you know sometimes question are they doing the right right methods do they have the right teams those types of things so maybe maybe walk us through a little bit about you know how you kind of go about building that that cadence with your your sales counterpart yeah yeah so um, you know that's for me it's just really been about the the relationship with them starting from the very beginning saying hey you know I've carried a bag I know what it's like and know that you've got a lot of pressure on you every single month to bring a quota in, you know, without you and your team, the lights don't stay on. My engineers don't have a job. I don't have a job. So I am here in any way, shape or form to make sure that you are successful. Just building that rapport, showing them that you're in the fight with them. You're not a separate siloed organization that doesn't care if they make their numbers or not. You know, Showing that you're in the trenches with them, making sure they know that you're there to support them in any way, shape or form, that uh, their success is your success um, and that you are as driven as they are. You're, you know, you're, you may not be a salesperson and you don't have the risk of carrying a quota directly necessarily, but you are as driven to be successful as they are it really just kind of goes a long way. Right. So I've always had really good, strong relationships with the sales professionals and sales leaders and peers that I support so that they know that, Hey, I am not here just to be, um, you know, sales support, sit back, do a nine to five, uh, spit out a couple of designs and sit back and hope you guys sell it. That's not what this is about. That that relationship has got to be stronger. Mm-hmm. It's got to be got to be tight. And um, I've designed my teams around that. I've typically aligned my teams to be, you know, one to one, one to two, one to three from a, a ratio perspective so that they, they build a relationship with the salespeople they support. They go to market together, hand in hand to go see customers. And it's that that long term strategy, that stickiness that has uh, has uh, has helped us so far. So. Um, you know, great question. You, you really do have to make sure that you build that bond or build that rapport with the people you support and let them know that you're there to help them. Now, you know, the engineers are my team. I, that's my responsibility. I do allow the sales managers and sales peers that I support to have some kind of say in that and dip into that when necessary. But they're my responsibility. I'm there to lead them, but I'm also going to lead them with your support as well. Mm-hmm. So that's those are the, the, the keys that I've kind of taken away and done in the last uh you know, 10, 15 years as it relates to, you know, the leadership, partnering with other leaders in the, in the company and making sure that we have a good working relationship and hopefully a good personal relationship as well. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I, I, you hit all the same exact scenarios that, that I've seen as well. And, and, and it is hard, you know, to, to basically, um, go and change that, um, that, you know, kind of work stream that sometimes exists. So, so I've had, you know, sales peers of mine that are like, listen, you know, my SE speaks when I tell him or her to speak and that's their job. (laughs) Um, I've had others that are like, yeah, you just tell us what we should be presenting and we'll price it out. And they have no involvement. But I think, I think, you know, one of the relationships that I I really enjoy, um, and I, and I had witnessed this personally with some of your teams in the past, um, you know, is the, the, the engineer and the sales professional that know each other really well, they know how to kind of play off of each other in a sales capacity with right. a customer and even in the post-sales capacity. 
but but they're also man or woman enough to be okay when the other criticizes them in a in a constructive way post meeting like absolutely hey, you know you shouldn't have gone up there and just thrown an a la carte pricing like we still haven't scoped this out yet or you know hey why didn't you talk about um, you know the next product release like that's coming tomorrow and this is what this customer wants like that was a missed opportunity like how do we do that and there's a little bit of banter back and forth but at the end of the day they walk away on the same path to drive which is helping a customer closing new business and and building that you know customer journey for them and and those are the, like the best relationships it's almost like they're an old married couple at times <laughs> but but they but they have absolute respect for each other because they know that if I'm getting called out, it's because I, I probably didn't have my A game. And, yeah. and conversely, if I'm calling you out, it's and, and it's it's almost like, you know, when when you're in a team like a sports team and I'm a big yep. sports guy and I played sports my whole life and, you know, you kind of try to pick up your teammate. You're like, hey, it's not good enough. It's not like you're chastising their play, but it's like you've got more in you. I know you can and I'm here for you, but we got to We got to We got to drive it harder. We got to We got to work harder. We got to play harder. And that just up up levels the team, and we all need that. And 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 I think because we are all fallible, and and you talked about you know mistakes prior. I think you and I had that similar leader, Richard Twilley, who used to always say, you know, mistakes aren't fatal, right? Like right. we're not we're not doing surgery. Like we will make mistakes, but it's yep. how you bounce back from them, and, and that's how you sh- your your customers are looking at that too. If you're making a mistake, how quickly can you rebound versus just completely collapsing and folding in front of the customer? So totally completely respect what you're saying because it, it is a fine science and that and this is where like people will ask me like how do i get into se leadership and they, they read all these leadership books and that sort of thing i'm like hey you can do that because there's obviously uh, a lot of information that you have to understand on how to to manage individual situations and people and that sort of thing and that change that does not change in any work scenario but managing individuals in a pre-sales environment i know a lot of people don't like the word pre-sales but that's what we are <laughs> Right. And so just embrace it. But but having to manage not only the personalities but also the workflows and those types of things, it is a fine balance and every technology company is different. You have, you know, SaaS organizations that could have a deal open and closed within twenty four hours. You have a telecommunications company like yourself that could be a thirty day cycle, it could be eighteen months. And so how do you manage a team in those different environments? And I'm gonna tell you, you can't sit there and just learn it from a book. You have to actually grow up in those types of environments to build on your leadership skills, to be that effective leader. And anybody that, you know, wants to dispute that with me, I'll, I'm happy to have that conversation. But that to me is super passionate about, you know, I'm super passionate about that. And that's kind of why we built the podcast to kind of bring folks like yourself on that, that kind of talk about, Hey, these are the things that you need to go do. And, and sometimes it's, you got to pay your dues. Like I, I understand that you're high flying SaaS company. You got a bunch of uh, investment, and you're, you're listed as the VP of, you know, solution architecture for this organization. But if you've actually never really managed anybody, to me, that's just a title. And that's okay, but you're going to need some help. You're going to need some coaching yourself to actually get over that hump because your customers are going to look for exactly everything you just mentioned, Claude. It's just, it's table stakes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I echo everything you just said. I think it's uh, more art than science, right? It's mm-hmm. not, uh, there's no formula for it. It's going to be based on experience, and uh, it really is just a, a match of your character and your personality trait as well. Not right. every individual contributor SE is going to be a good SE leader uh, at some point. It just doesn't. It doesn't. 
it doesn't flow that way. You may be a good technical person. You may be able to talk bits and bytes down to uh, you know, the nth degree, and customers love that, and technical buyers like that, but you may not be able to have business conversation with business leaders. Not saying you can't or you won't, but if you can and you can bridge that gap, that makes you even that much more potent, more powerful, more valuable to, to an organization. Uh, but it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a learned art as well. You know, you can't just uh, read a book and think, okay, I can go be a leader. I can go lead a team. I can go bridge the gap between the, the technical folks and the sales folks. I can uh, interface with uh, the right customers at the right level. Um, you really have to kind of work your way into that versus going to a business school or a business class and trying to, uh, and trying to, you know, learn that from, from paper. So, um, you know, I've done that. You've done that. It's, uh, it's um, like I said, it's more art than science. Um, and uh, it really is just a matter of kind of working your way through the industry, through the, through the right channels to be able to get to, to that spot. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so we're in this kind of uh, weird, you know, time right now with COVID and a lot of things going on. So how, how do you, how, how are you handling just managing the teams? I mean, are, are you guys remote? Or are you back in the office? I mean, you yeah. were remote at some point, right? So yeah. <laughs> So 2020 has been a wild year so far, just a crazy, crazy year. But uh, I think a lot of good is going to come out of this, right? I think, number one, to answer your question, everything's been remote. Managing a team remotely has been been fine for me. I'm sure a lot of folks uh, may be new to them, maybe maybe just status quo for them. But for me, it uh, has been just fine. So I've been doing it. Uh, and typically, any SE leader in a, in a large company has had remote um, folks on their team uh, in some way, shape, or form. They may have some local that they're always interfacing, seeing every day in the office, and some that are in different parts of the country that they've got to manage remotely. But to me, it's been it's been perfect. What I've seen from an industry perspective, perspective is we've leveraged a lot more of our work-from-home solutions, a lot more of our collaboration solutions than we ever did before. We've become um, a lot more used to it. We've been using video a lot more so that we can see each other's other's faces, read body language as much as we can over the over the video platforms. Um, we've been leveraging that to to a lot more than we did in the past. And I think um, just, uh, you know once we emerge from this pandemic, there's going to be a hybrid. You know, there's some folks that are going to re- return to the to the office. There's some folks that are going to. Uh, prefer to work from home, and their folks are going to want to do both. They're going to want to go to the office uh, whenever they want, and also, you know, get that human interaction, get that uh, that work done quickly, get those quotes out, talk to their pricing people, talk to the legal people face to face, get stuff done versus emails back and forth. But at some point, they're also going to want to say, "Hey, today I'm going to work from home. I'm going to bang with some calls from home. I don't want to be disturbed. I don't want to be interrupted. I don't want anybody knocking on my on my my office door. So I'm going to kind of work from home." So I, I, I see us relying on technology a lot more coming out of the pandemic, and that's hard to say, right? We are, we already relied on technology a whole bunch before the pandemic, but I I've seen the surge in Facebook, Instagram, um, Amazon shopping. Uh, I've seen the surge in Zoom. Uh, video, all kinds of collaboration tools and software. I've seen healthcare companies come to us for more bandwidth and uh, secure solutions um, for for their employees to work uh, remotely. I've seen uh, the, the banking industry close their their retail locations, yet still require um, a whole bunch of internet bandwidth and speeds and and uh, and, and even more work from home solutions as well. So uh, I, I really am excited to see what this pandemic does to us from a technology perspective and from a business perspective um, as we as we emerge from it and really from a social perspective I mean is there going to be 
if the pandemic stops and we've got a vaccine, I think there's going to be a huge rebound in travel, uh, customer meetings, face-to-face -face meetings, going back to the office, et cetera. If it's more of a slow transitional uh, process out of the pandemic, I see more of a hybrid between a working from home, still staying in place, sheltering in place, um, and uh, you know, leveraging technology a lot more. So kind of curious to see what, uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts, Gary? Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I, you know, the, the customers that I'm designing solutions for right now, it's, it's, it's quite a bit of a hybrid. We have organizations that I think are starting to realize uh, and, and also take um, notice of organizations like, uh, like a Google, uh, Amazon, you know, uh, LinkedIn, some of these others that are, that are basically saying, hey, we're, we're going to have employees stay Yep. Uh, almost indefinitely, but they they put some time time frames around that. But it's not going to be. We're going. All, we're all back in the office in October, and I think for some companies it's difficult because they have to be back in the office for a, a variety of reasons. And and then you see some industries, you know, whether it's uh, hospitality, uh, you know, the the restaurant industry, like those are just getting disseminated decimated because people aren't utilizing their services. Sure. So. Yep. And, but but then it's all the companies that support those comp types types of companies that are also impacted. So I, I agree. I think it'll continue to be a hybrid at a, at a maximum almost. I, I I don't think we're going to see a ton of companies say you all have to be back in the office unless you're deemed critical for whatever it is that you provide. Uh, what I'm definitely seeing right now is companies coming to us um, on at Macronet and, and basically asking us, hey, how do we reduce our footprint, you know, we want to we want to go down our commercial real estate by 25, 50 percent. Yeah. We also need security requirements down to the to the home user, and also I don't, as an IT organization, want to have to be troubling troubleshooting broadband connections. So yeah. what else is out there to to help us maneuver around those areas? And then the collaboration services, like we we're doing a ton of Zoom, a ton of Microsoft Teams integrations. Mm -hmm. we're, you know, in when when you think about um, these companies that have legacy technologies that's more on-premise to support their internal consumption. Granted, they've moved to SD-WAN, but they, they haven't moved to that virtual environment at, the, at yeah. the office. I think what ends up coming out of this is companies will need that modular ability to only have to plug something into the wall and have nothing else on-premise, whether it's a phone system, collaboration services. Like You basically have the ability with your mobile device and your PC to basically bring your own device anywhere and still have that same interaction and, and experience if you're at home or if you're at a client site, et cetera, or in your office versus having anything on, on site. I think it's a huge opportunity for, you know, the IT teams, for example, to, you know, kind of reset, but, but there's also costs. So it, it'll be interesting. I think there's a, there'll be a lot of studies, you know, I think on just the social impacts, um, mm -hmm. you know, someone like yourself, I think it's great to hear cause you've got that deep leadership, like, Managing teams remotely is not a big deal for you because you've been doing it for so many years. If again, if you get back to that example, I said you're a VP of solution architecture. It's really your first leadership job, and you've never had to manage a team remotely. Um, you know, there's people publishing studies and these types of things, but again, our business is a little bit more unique. There's not a playbook necessarily for them in their particular workflows with their specific customers, and so. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. I think even you know once once a vaccine and everything else is cleaned up, you know the, I think I think you're right. I think things will take off. But you know what happens in the next next one that comes out, or you know do yeah. companies realize, hey, we've been a hundred year old company, 
we never had a work from home policy and now we realize we can actually conduct business and people are happier if they have a hybrid model so that allows us to keep our OPEX down. So there, there could be some really interesting benefits out of this. Yep, yep, completely agree with you. Um, you know, one of the big things that, uh, uh, I mean, obviously every company is different, every industry is different, but they, a lot of companies were worried about productivity, employee productivity from a work from home perspective. And again, if it's, uh, if it's in a lockdown scenario when you've got uh, families at home with uh, with your employees and distractions and so forth, uh, you know, you get it. That's a that's a good cause for concern. But what I've seen is uh, we've been uh, at Windstream way more productive working from home than we were at uh, going to the office. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're always online. We're always in front of our computer. We're always um, doing work. We, our productivity has increased because we haven't had to fight traffic through Atlanta or any big metro yeah. metro city. <laughs> yeah. So we're working longer hours. I mean, the, the, from a from a productivity standpoint. That has increased. That should alleviate some of the the stress, uh, uh, in my opinion, from for, you know for some of these large companies looking for, um, you know, that trade-off between hey, do I close real estate and save some money, or do I lose productivity from my workers working from home more often or all the time? So that should uh, kind of alleviate that concern um, in my in my estimation. Again, every industry is different. What I've seen is we've been a lot more productive just working from home. Yeah, I I agree. Um... And, and, you know, everybody talks about, hey, if you're working from home and, you know, you're so distracted because you want to do laundry, you want to, <laughs> you know, pick something up at the store and those types of things. And I've actually, um, in some of the, the consulting that I've been doing for um, solution architect leaders and SE leaders uh, in some of these organizations, you know, they said, well, you know, I'm worried about this. I'm like, no, let your team go do laundry, let them go make a meal for their family or do these things. Cause here's why you, you exactly just hit that point of you're not having to fight traffic. Yeah. You're, you are more productive if you're disciplined at home because you're probably logging on at that moment you'd get in the car. So yep. you're putting in more hours, just yep. put, put, put at one o'clock, you're going to go do laundry. And that alleviates the burden after the extra long day that you've had to put in at home you don't have that decompression time in your car, both going to work and coming home from work. And and if you slot in those breaks to do some of those chores, you can be done at the end of the day and know that you don't have this huge burden on, on you, but you're still getting the same productivity, but you're getting the personal productivity. So that way those things don't pile up in your life. Right. And then you have a much more um, enjoyable downtime, um, after, after work. So, so I've actually been advising some companies, you know, especially, you know, folks like yourself, like put that time in your employee's calendar, just like you would for training. Say, look at, at one to one thirty, I want you to go do whatever chores you have to do. Like in yep. the house, like if you yep. gotta go drop your kid off, you go walk the dog, like do those things, put it in your calendar. So nobody books your time. And we all know as, as engineers, like we, we always feel bad or, you know, it's the only, the only time that the rep had, like, just block it out and just say, no, I have a conflict. And yep. they will work around your schedule. You don't have to tell them, hey, I have a conflict because I'm doing laundry. But, but just say you have a conflict. And, and, and that will create a much better environment for us as individuals if we know that those things are gone. So yeah. that's usually my advice to, to most folks. Yeah. And I, I'm with you. I mean, you've been, uh, you know, I've worked for, for you as a boss and you've been a boss that trusts your employees. You're not supposed to tell anybody that. I didn't want anybody to know that. I was, you know, talking about how we work together. You're not supposed to out me out on, on the podcast. Come on, you, Claude. You can edit that any way you want to edit it. <laughs> 
And I've also worked for folks that don't trust their employees. I'm an optimist. I believe in people. I believe that if you trust your employees, that the majority of them, and I mean the majority, 90% uh, or thereabouts will do the right thing. They'll work from home. They'll do the laundry when they need to do the laundry, but they'll also be up late at night designing their uh, SD-WAN solution at 9 o'clock at night because they know they have, they've got to get it done. Right. So I'm of that belief. Um, and if we can get to that space, like it's like you said, it makes an employee happier, keeps that employee retention longer, keeps them more engaged as a as a work uh, as a workforce, and um, you know, it really just leads to better productivity overall. Yeah, I totally agree. I think as as leaders, um, we have to, you know, I, well, I know that some people don't believe this. They you know, well, they got to earn my respect first before I can trust them. I, you know what? If it's a two-way street. I, I give everybody my trust until there's a reason to pull it away. So even if yep. I don't know you, I trust you. You know, and maybe yep. that's not the best approach. But if I have a team, you come on. Like I'm gonna give you a, a thousand percent trust until I don't feel that I can trust you anymore. Versus me saying, "Well, you need to earn my trust." You know, now that you're on my team. Well, if I'm a if I'm reporting to to Gary and he's telling me I have to earn his trust, like he's gonna earn my trust. Like so, I, I don't. You know, I, I especially in our world, like I think it's. You have to be open, and I think to your point, especially us as SEs, like in SAs, like we want to get stuff done, and if we've got to move some things around, like we know how to jam workout, we know how to do the right thing, and control our learning curve, like you talked about at the beginning of the show, and and I think that's what makes uh, a better a better environment. Yeah. So, you know, Claude, I know we're running out of time here. Um, you know, I really, really appreciate. I could, I could talk to you for hours. You know. That. Um, <laughs> So I really appreciate you joining uh, on the show. Uh, I guess the one question I have is uh, hopefully you'll come back at some point. Absolutely. Loved it. Loved being here. Like I said, anytime I get to catch up and chit-chat with you, uh, I relish it. And uh, just let me know anytime you guys want me back. Uh, I'll be I'll be happy to be on. Yeah, that'd be great. And best way, if there's a, an SC or an SA that's you know interested in talking to you or maybe hearing about roles you have, best way to connect with you is on LinkedIn? Yeah, so um, LinkedIn, uh, my profile is on there. Um, check it out. Hit me up. DM me. Ask any questions you possibly want answered. I'll be more than happy to uh, to help uh, help in any way I can, point you in the right direction. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, Claude, thanks for joining the show. Uh, we'll put your contact info in the show notes. And uh, have a great weekend. Awesome, Gary. Have a good one. Thanks. Take care. See you. Bye. Talking head on the two trying to rally